window. Hopefully you're all not falling asleep from that wonderful lunch. I know I'm kind of a little dazed there with that wonderful barbecue. Um, let's see, Florida. One of the things I want to say, one of the good things about Florida is we don't have panels. <laughs> I know that's always been a contention every time I come and hear them speak and everybody always talks about panels. Also, the wrongful part of fees, since he mentioned Florida. Basically, if the judge thinks you were wrong, you're going to pay a fee. So that's what we have defined as wrongful in Florida. <laughs> the judge says, you're wrong, you're wrong. Um, but basically, what I'm going to talk to you about is just a few cases that have come out in probably the past eight months that may have some impact on some of your Florida cases. Are Do any of you do Florida law? Yes, okay. So then some of these are can definitely come to play for you. So the first one, first topic was the statute of limitations. Now you may remember that in Florida, you the statute to uh, to toll. There are certain things that will happen. First of all, two years from the date of accident, and one year from the last time you provided a benefit. So the question then becomes, what is the benefit that's being continuously provided, and is it remedial treatment? So for example. Do you think that the use of a back brace or a knee brace would toll the statute? The answer would be yes. If the employer or it's obvious that they are using this brace continuously and it is providing some type of treatment, then yes, that brace is going to apply. How about a knee prosthesis? So if someone gets a total knee replacement, that one also is going to toll the statute, um, especially that it's a uh, prosthesis that will probably have to be redone at some point. Now, what about rods and screws from the fusion? Any idea? Yes or no? What's up? Well, that's where that ring power case comes about. Uh, that person had a back injury who resulted in a spinal fusion surgery a few months after. Rods and screws were placed uh, to let the bone graft obviously come into play. About one year, the fusion was solid. Although they remained inside, medical evidence showed that the rods and screws no longer performed any function. So the first DCA said, no, it won't toll the statute. Because they, do not, they are not providing any remedial treatment. They have no further function. So because of that, it's not going to toll the statute. So that's actually something important because we're used to seeing the replacements, the knees, the shoulders. So the question always to the doctor is going to be, especially when you see the screws and rods for like clavicles, ankles, that is whether or not they are providing a function. If they are no longer providing a function, they just don't want to go back in there and take it out, they are not going to toll the statute. So that's an important thing to remember. Another thing that will toll the statute is the filing of petition for benefits. One of the tactics that is used in the state of Florida a lot by claims attorneys is they'll file a petition for benefits, they go to mediation, the issue is resolved, and what do they do? Reserve jurisdiction on fees. The reason they do this is there was a prior case before that if the jurisdiction of the attorney's fees is reserved, it's technically still a pending petition. And so, Attorneys just do this to make sure the statute doesn't run. So we have this case, Moisey versus Walt Disney World. And there, you had a housekeeper with two different dates of accidents, had filed petitions, the petitions were resolved, benefits were, you know, had not been provided for a while. 
the defense attorney filed a motion to dismiss the prior attorney's fees for lack of prosecution. In Florida, which is probably very similar to many of the other states, if you don't prosecute your claim within a certain time period, you can move to dismiss it. So a lot of times we use that tactic in Florida, we try to dismiss the fees, and what they do is they then file another petition immediately, and in hopes that if the judge does agree with you, there's a petition pending anyway, so therefore the statute can't run. So in this case, that's what happened. They filed a motion to dismiss for lack of prosecution immediately about a week later. They filed a petition for a doctor for a follow-up appointment. The judge says, you know, I look at your motion to dismiss. I grant it. I'm letting it go. Um, the adjusters were very smart when they responded to the petition, put the statute of limitations defense, which, as a reminder, you have to put on the first response. If not, you waive it. But because they did so, they then looked at the petition and dismissed the petition based on the statute of limitations. Of course, it went up the chain uh, saying, wait a minute. You've said before if a petition is pending, you can't. the statute isn't told. However, the first DCA said no, because the prior petition was dismissed, the only thing that is the factor is the actual date that you filed the petition. And because the other petitions were dismissed, it's like they never existed. Therefore, the date that you filed that up the next petition was after the two years or the one year, and therefore the statute does apply. So what does that tell us? We need to get rid of some of these fees. So if you have these cases that they have these fees for all this time and they're not doing anything about it, I recommend that you tell your attorneys to file the motion to dismiss for lack of prosecution. That usually will help you. Uh, go to the next slide. Next topic, one-time change in positions. One of the most important things in Florida about the one-time change is that it must be a request in writing. Once you receive that request, it is five days. Now, it's not five business days. It's five days. So those who do Florida will know that most of the time you'll receive a one-time change on Wednesday at 4.55, right before Thanksgiving. Why? Because you're not there Thursday or Friday. So when you show up on Monday, it is the only day that you have to select the doctor. You cannot select the facility, you must select the doctor. Um, you can't, and you don't have to schedule the appointment, you just have to assign the doctor you want. And that might even mean that if you contact that doctor after and they say, sorry, we want the medical records, they look at the medical records and they say, we're not going to treat, you can then select another doctor. But that first doctor has to be done within those five days. So then we get to the question of, the statute says, same specialty. So does that mean same specialty or, or doctors that do the same body part? And that's where you get to this Myers versus Pasco County case. There the claimant injured her back and was treating with an orthopedist when she requested her one-time change. The EC authorized a neurosurgeon, which would seem about right. I mean, there's a lot of doctors that you either go to an orthopedic back specialist or a neurosurgeon. The JCC actually said it was okay because he thought same should mean same type of conditions that the doctor treats. And makes some sense, especially in some rural areas in Florida where you have very, very limited doctors. But here the first DCA said similar does not mean same. So it has to be the same. So if you have an orthopedic back surgeon, 
It's got to be an orthopedic back surgery. Um, I can tell you, we haven't seen a lot of this. Um, most of the time, you're either in an area where you have a lot of doctors, so it's not that big of a deal. In smaller areas, um, we've been able to either have the other side stipulate, yeah, it's okay, send them to that neuro, because if not, the claimant might have to go 75 miles out. So they, you know, the claimant can't have it both ways. So either it's go 75 miles out or maybe see that neurosurgeon. So sometimes you can stipulate with opposing cancer. Yeah, most famous 120-day rule. I'm sure, <laughs> see, I heard, ugh. Because <laughs> it's true. So basically, once you are notified of the accident, you have 120 days to either decide to pay, pay and investigate, or deny. Um, I know Greg was talking about, I think it was Greg, uh, about, you know, once you receive an accident, you send out a form to page one Florida. It's a bigger packet, but you who do Florida realizing you know, once you get this accident, you send this huge packet out. One of them will be the 120-day letter. So basically, you can do your pay and investigate, and you have to make a decision on compensability within those 120 days. So the question becomes, if you don't make that decision, what happens? Well, according to the statute, you waive it. So then we come to this Harbor Freight case, where you have a situation where the claimant of uh, the employer carrier waived 120, but it was never asserted by the claimant. So the claimant has to say, hey, judge, employer carrier waived 120 days. It's an actual affirmative defense, and they must plead it. So sometimes you might get lucky, but usually the attorneys get, you know, catch up on it. But it has been seen where they don't plead it, and if they don't, they can't use it. Which then brings you to this Tico case. Um, or Teco, I'm not sure how to get Anybody know? <laughs> In this case, uh, did anybody go to the Florida Workers' Comp Convention? Do you, did you go to the uh, first DCA's oral arguments? This was one of the cases. Um, kind of twofold to give you a little background information on this case. You've got a claimant who has a knee injury. A uh, few years prior to, sees a doctor for his other knee who had knee problems, but in that examined the other knee. The other knee showed that it had he had degenerative arthritis that the doctor said is significant, but you really don't need treatment, but it's there. Um, so he's got this knee injury. He's got a meniscal tear. The meniscal tear is uh, you know repaired and all that. But in the meantime, afterwards, the injury gets worse. You know, you go from the meniscal tear to the medial joint line to now everything else, part of the knee hurts and all that. So then it becomes, what is pre-existing? What was there from before? And what has now come afterwards? In the meantime, the, uh, there's injections recommended. The doctor actually states in the medical note that the injection is not part of the injury. It's the pre-existing arthritis. Somehow it went through the pipe and it got authorized. So it becomes, the 120 days becomes when you were notified of that injection. So it's not just compensability, but actually individual things. So the 120 days pass, then there's a recommendation for a knee replacement. Big surprise. That was is what was petitioned and fought for. So you've got, um, during that litigation, the waiver was not, again, 
talked about. Uh, again, remember from the prior case, the claimant's attorney must indicate the affirmative defense. They never did it. They never even did it in the trial matter. The judge brought it up at trial. The judge goes, wait a minute, counsels, what about the 120? So they argued it. You might remember there was a lot of that in that argument at the Florida Convention about whether or not if you if you actually defend it, did you then acquiesce to it? And the first DCA said no. The judge cannot do that either. It must be brought out by the claimant's attorney with time. That way you can prepare and bring your adjuster in and testify in any ways, shape or form. The other thing about the 120 is the statute says unless material relevant facts would not have been discovered during the 120 days. So a lot of times you might have claimants who lie to you, for example. You do that recorded statement, oh, I've never had prior problems with my, my knee. No. And then you discover it after. Obviously, that's going to be very different. Never mind, you might have a misrepresentation defense too, but it'll be different with the 120. In Paradise versus Neptune Fish Market, here you got a claimant who says he slipped on a fish, hurt his knee, hurt his back, all that. But then asked the ambulance to take him to the VA. The employer does not notify the carrier. The uh, it, part of this, his hip was injured, had hip surgery, had MRSA infections. Eventually, the claimant ends up with a hip replacement, is in the hospital for like 18 months with coming and going with the MRSA infection and all that. Nine months after the accident, they file a petition. It's the first time the carrier you knows about this. I'm sure none of you that's ever happened. I'm sure. <laughs> but as all you know, the VA records are one of the hardest records to try to obtain. Um, you subpoena them. They always send you back the form saying, no, we need this specific release. If they want their release. It can't be just a generic release. If one of the little boxes is not checked, they will return it. It's one of, I swear it's one of the hardest records I've ever tried to obtain. Um, in this case, once they were notified, the carrier, and they tried to get the release, they actually had to compel the claimant to sign the release. Um, then they had to compel the VA to show up for a depot to obtain the records, all of that. With all of that and said and done, they got redacted uh, VA records within the 120 days. In those records, there was two important things. One, that the claimant said nothing about slipping and falling. Said that his knee gave out and that's why he fell. So that's a compensability issue. And two, there was a note there from the doctor about his alcohol in his system. So you had an alcohol defense. Unfortunately, the carrier didn't deny the claim till months and months later after the 120 days. And of course, there was a surgery. So therefore, it was found that because the unredacted, even though they were still trying after the 120 days to get the un unredacted records, the judge actually determined everything with the redacted version. And because of that, those records were within the possession of the employer carrier within 120 days. You have to deny within 120 days. So mark your calendars when you get these files. You know, the 120 days is very, very important. Medical benefits. Uh, Florida statute section 44013-2A requires a medical treatment to be both reasonable and medically necessary. 
in the city of Orlando case, there was a disagreement between the doctors um, as to whether the claimant's uh, wrists and elbow injuries needed medical treatment. Eventually, an EMA came into play, and for those of you who don't know Florida, once two doctors disagree, the judge will appoint an expert doctor to look at, everybody, at the other doctor's opinions and make their determination. And once that EMA makes that determination, that is generally the golden rule unless you can find something to get around it, which is very, very rare. So the EMA actually said that the surgeries were reasonable, but also said that he would not recommend the surgeries because he thought actually one of the surgeries could potentially make her worse and another surgery would have no effect. That even though her IME said these uh, surgeries would be helpful, he found they would not be at all. The judge of compensation claim said, well, he really only testified to reasonable, so I'm going to take the medical necessity part from the IME because I like that doctor more than the other. And the first DCA said no. The EMA, just because EMA said, I'm not opining to that, it is the claimant's burden in, for example, the deposition of that EMA to get that EMA to say that it was medically necessary. So that is the claimant's burden, and that is not an affirmative defense, so you don't have to bring it up. They have the burden to ask the doctor the right questions. So if the claimant's attorney says, hey, is this reasonable, but that doesn't ask the medical necessity question, then, then you're off the hook, you're good. And those are the important cases that I brought up. Um, is there any questions about Florida? I'm off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Melinda.